In his work, The Frontiers of Poetry, the philosopher Jacques Maritain had the following to say, Whereas metaphysics stands in the line of knowledge and of the contemplation of truth, poetry stands in the line of making and of the delight procured by beauty. Metaphysics snatches at the spiritual in an idea by the most abstract intellection. Poetry reaches it in the flesh by the very point of the sense sharpened through intelligence. Metaphysics gives chase to essences and definitions, poetry to any flash of existence glittering by the way, and any reflection of an invisible order. Metaphysics isolates mystery in order to know it. Poetry, thanks to the balances it constructs, handles and utilizes mystery as an unknown force. That's Jacques Maritain. My name is Matt Chaminsky. This is the Curious Catholic Podcast. We recently had an episode featuring my discussion with award-winning poet A.M. Juster. In it, we discussed his new collection of poems titled Wonder and Wrath, as well as the craft of poetry in general. We'll continue this theme today as we get to know Presence, a journal of Catholic poetry, which, as the journal's title suggests, is an annual publication dedicated to poems written within the Catholic sacramental vision of the world, with all its breadth, depth, and universality. We'll get to know the journal by speaking with its editor-in-chief, Mary Ann B. Miller. In addition to editing Presence, Mary Ann is professor of English at Caldwell University and editor of St. Peter's B-List, Contemporary Poems Inspired by the Saints, published by Ave Maria Press. In her inaugural editorial statement, Marianne wrote, quote, I, as founding editor of Presence, hope that by establishing this journal, it will remind writers and readers alike of the intimate connection that poetry had from the beginning with spiritual practice. If we start with the principle that all poetry is spiritual at its inception, then theoretically, all poetry belongs here, all good poetry, for nothing truly spiritual is accomplished through weak art. Here she is discussing how the journal came to be. And we don't think of ourselves as a, a strictly academic journal. I always, I always sort of define it as kind of hovering somewhere between academic and general readership. But it did begin in a rather academic setting, um, in a very typical way. Um, what, it was at a conference, um, and some, some of your viewers may have heard of um, this series that, uh, of literary conferences on the Catholic imagination um, that started with um, Dana Joya, the former chairman of the National Endowment of the Arts. And the first of these conferences was held um, at the University of Southern California, where he taught at the time. Um, And it was sponsored by the Center for Advanced Catholic Studies there. Um, And this was in uh, 2015. Um, And I just happened to have um, edited and published a book of poems, um, not written by uh, myself, but collected. It was an anthology that came out with Ave Maria Press um, in 2014. And I was fortunate enough to be invited to be on a panel during this conference, um, and it was a panel of Catholic editors, and someone in the audience, this is just such a, really a sort of, it's it's amazing to me that I can sort of point to this moment in time when this happened, but someone um, in the audience raised her hand and said, 
you know, I don't think we have a journal devoted specifically to poetry, you know, meaning the Catholic journal, um, devoted specifically to poetry. Um, and there are other Catholic literary journals out there, most certainly, but they have a mix of genres, you know. Um, and uh, so the editor of Dapple Things, which some of your viewers may have heard of, um, it's been around a lot longer than we have, uh, was there. And she, she was also on the panel, uh, Meredith Wise, um, McCann, and she uh, she spoke up and said, that's right, you know, because we published a mix. And she really basically right there gave her blessing, you know, to start this other journal. So we've been, it's been a wonderful a kind of community, you know, it's kind of formed um, and we're all supportive of one another, which I really love. But, um, but in any case, so um, another person on the panel um, that year was uh, William Bear, uh, who had um, for many years run the formalist uh, uh, literary journal. Um, and he was just then retiring from uh, University of uh, Illinois, Evansville. And uh, he said to me right then, you know, he said, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to retire. He said, but, you know, and I, and I really have a lot of projects I want to work on in my retirement. But he said, if you start this journal, I will be behind it, you know. So it was really sort of that moment. He became the first member of the advisory board, <laughs> as did Dana Joy, of course, and others. And um, so it was really kind of born out of this conversation in, in this, you know, panel at this conference. So, um, uh, and it, you know, um, I wish to this day, if someone is listening and you were the one who asked that question, I'd love to meet you. Because <laughs> I still have, no one's quite come forward. And we even put this, the story up on the website uh, for the journal, it's under the, the About Us tab in the mission statement. So so it's uh, it, it, there was a moment when it was born, that's for sure, the conception of it. That's a great story. Um, yeah. and, it, and it seems to be of the fabric of, um, you know, the publication and, uh, you know, um, your editorial statement, um, you know, in 2017 seemed to sort of yeah, you know, make make movements in that way, right? This sort of back and forth, and and sort of the the communal dimension, and sort of uh, of of the act of I guess of writing poetry and reading poetry, and so it's it's quite fitting that it was born in such a way. You just mentioned the about page. I was interested in um, you know the, the journal's mission statement, and you know I don't often read mission statements closely, but having you know reading yours, I was I was just impressed by how comprehensive it was and how it seemed to really chart um, uh, a trajectory for for the journal. So I don't know if we could, you know, talk through it a bit. Well, thank you. Yeah, I guess comprehensive is a good word. Um, we did work very, I think, diligently in trying to write a mission statement that had a very broad definition of Catholic art. You know, we wanted mm -hmm. to be very inclusive. And um, so we stuck to the classics, right, to uh, Thomas Aquinas. Where do where does any Catholic work begin, right? Often Thomas Aquinas' words, right? So um, you know, so we wanted, uh, you know, I guess that first question is, you know, um, when you uh, name a journal, and that was a little tricky too. Actually, I probably to start to talk about the mission statement, we also talk about the name of the journal that we ended up including a, the subtitle, a journal of Catholic poetry, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, there was already a Catholic journal called Presence, but it wasn't a literary journal. It was a, I believe it's a journal for um, spiritual directors. And it did occasionally print a poem or two, you know, but it wasn't poetry journal. Um, and so 
the practical reason for adding, you know, the subtitle was to distinguish it from that journal. So we added a journal of Catholic poetry. So it was very clear that it's a poetry journal. Um, but of course, I love the name presence, you know, um, as being so, you know, the way it resonates with all of that sacramental view of art, you know. Um, and so um, we want to retain that, um, you know, that sense of it, too. But, uh, you know, so but then the question arises, well, what do we mean by Catholic poetry? You know, so um, Catholic poems are poems with strong, unique metaphors that suggest a correspondence between the natural world and the supernatural world and often show us how the natural world contains signs of divine design. Um, Catholic poems are poems of self-examination. Many of them are humorous. Um, there are poems in which the speaker is laughing at his or her sins um, uh, or spiritual weaknesses and recognizing the need to change them. Catholic poems are sometimes poems that praise the virtue of other poets. Um, we get a number of poems uh, that are of praise um, of others. Uh, we give Catholic poems uh, that are elegies. Um, of course, um, or other poems that show us some kind of communion between the living and the dead. And these poems often offer consolation, right, through some level of belief in the possibility that these souls are living on in an afterlife. Um, Catholic poems are often parent poems um, that show us how the love a father has for his child or a mother has for her child um, can help us feel the personal love God has for each of us individually. Um, Catholic poems are poems that reflect Ignatian spirituality. Sometimes that's when the speakers place themselves in the position of a biblical figure um, and show us uh, their, their identity, you know, it, uh, is uh, sort of bound up with several in several different ways with biblical figures, such as, you know, um, human beings being descendants of Adam and Eve or um, beneficiaries of God's promise or even aggressors in Christ's suffering and death, right? Um, Catholic poems sometimes respond directly to other Catholic poems or Catholic poets um, in a kind of intertextual conversation. Um, sometimes they're ekphrastic poems um, that uh, reflect upon the spiritual significance of a work of visual art. Um, Catholic poems are translations of poems. We have a translation section in the journal. Um, and these translations of poems from other languages are really an act of love, right? That help us see and understand the lives of other people um, uh, from whom we would otherwise be cut off, you know, because of language barriers. So, um, of course, we get, you know, Catholic poems that are socially conscious and they're, you know, seeking ultimately to show God's mercy and justice. Um, Catholic poems, um, sometimes look back on the speaker's Catholic upbringing as a child, you know, through the eyes of an adult who either struggles with or has come to some kind of deepened understanding of a childlike faith. Um, Catholic poems are sometimes prayers addressing God directly and showing us some very individual ways to approach the divine, sometimes with hope, sometimes, often, you know, with doubt, right, often with doubt. Um, there are so many kinds of Catholic poems. The only way I've found to make any broad statement about them is to say that um, their speakers show us the uniqueness or individuality of every human soul. Um, it's hard to talk about uh, 
what kind of poem we're looking for. You know, um, it, they always, the good ones always strike us as unique um, and uh, this unique voice um, with its own set of unique struggles. Um, another statement we make, of course, in the mission uh, statement that's uh, broad, you know, and helpful, I think, is, is Catholic poems are sacramental poems, right, that reveal to us how God's grace comes to us through any number of natural means. Um, once uh, at a conference, someone who was not Catholic approached me and asked, aren't all poems Catholic poems? And of course, he meant Catholic with a small c, uh, meaning all poems are spiritual at their core with universal elements, you know. Um, and I just said, yes, thank you for saying that, because Catholics with a capital C can't say it themselves without sounding like we're appropriating the work of others who may not identify their work as having been formed by a Catholic with a large C worldview, you know. Um, you're just kind of talking through, you know, what you included in the mission statement. So, so rich yeah. and full and multifaceted. So, you know, just to pick one of those threads to pull on, I, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what this statement means, you know, or, you know, why would you say something like that Catholicism makes for a fertile ground for the flourishing of contemporary mm -hmm. poetry? Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's fertile because, and I've discovered, I've actually come to understand that word much more over the years, you know, as we've had, uh, you know, hundreds of submissions uh, that are increasing each year. Um, it, it is more fertile than I would ever think um, that we um, receive poems, like I said, you know, some of them are overtly theological in their use of terminology like grace, for example, and that sort of thing, terminology or language anyway. Um, but uh, some of the poems, uh, I call them poems of self-examination, right? It's very Catholic to, to confess, right? <laughs> so a number of the poems, you can see the speaker of the poem is thinking about their weaknesses or comfortable with, you know, revealing those and um, you know, it's just the struggle of the soul is involved in it, you know, and those make very strong poems, um, a soul in action, you know, that's struggling. Um, uh, poems that make reference to other Catholic writers sometimes and enter into a kind of intertextual conversation with other writers. We get a number of poems um, uh, that I would say maybe are inspired by the work of Flannery O'Connor, for example, you know, um, Angela Lima O'Donnell, who um, teaches at Fordham and is on the advisory board, um, has uh, written a series of um, sonnets uh, that are sort of based upon her broad knowledge of uh, Flannery O'Connor's life. So she's written them in the voice of O'Connor as if O'Connor were speaking, you know, uh, and uh, they're beautiful. And she just, um, and wonderful and funny and everything that's like Flannery. Um, and this book called Andalusian Hours just came out. We'll be doing a book review of that uh, in the next issue, in the forthcoming issue, the 2021 issue, mm. which by the way, I should mention that the journal's an annual, so it only comes out once a year. So it ends up being quite thick and uh, <laughs> uh, we have to fit a lot, do a lot in a, in a mm -hmm. short amount of space. But um, uh, so, you know, so again, poems that resonate with other Catholic writers, you know, um, Poems that, um, you know, many poets view poems as, as prayers, you know, mm -hmm. um, and so they'll take that kind of form uh, and language. Um, 
spoken to God, right? right. Um, so uh, that's just a small handful. Oh, and then of course we have we have poems. Um, uh, I would call them maybe poems that are more socially conscious. Um, by the third issue, the 2019 issue, um, I had engaged um, some translators because translating is not my specialty. So mm-hmm. we um, we do have a section of poems in the issue that are each year that are translations. And I very quickly discovered I needed help with that. <laughs> and so I engaged people who certainly have much more professional um, experience than I do in that. Gregory Orfalia came on board um, and he and um, another man, um, uh, Sharif El Musa, um, by the third issue, were actually translating um, poems by uh, Syrian refugees that, and it was the first time they had uh, they had been translated into English. So we were very excited to actually bring those, you know. And they had found them; they're very young poets who were were transplanted, you know, because of their status. So um, the refugee status. Status. So, so just I'm just so grateful for all the very talented people who have. It's just been so generous. I, basically, all I have to do is email people and they're, yes, you know, I'll do something. And it's that really just that almost answer, you know, to a call. It's just great. So um, so uh, we've added that translation section and, and built it up, you know, over the years um, to give that sense of the universality of the church and all of that. So it's been, you know, so that kind of poem, right? So there's, it's, it's, it's turning out to be extremely fertile ground, <laughs> let me put it that way, um, beyond what I could have imagined, I think, when we started the journal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested, you, you mentioned earlier that you sort of straddle the boundary between, um, you know, academia and sort of a, a more popular journal. Yeah. Um, or, or at least try to, you know, hold those two things together. And then um, you're talking about, you know, poems you know, recounting struggles of the soul or prayer to God. So, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, one of the aspirations of the journal uh, or of yourself as well is to make it such that more maybe pew-sitting or, or, or not pew-sitting Catholics are, um, you know, at least interested in encountering these themes and motifs and realities in poetic form. Like, you know, I, I think there's a misimpression of poetry that it's, you know, sort of 40-20 nose in the air only for, you know, certain literary types. But really, it sounds like everything you're trying to do is is uh, quite different than that. That's true. Oh, it, that's true. It's interesting you heard that in between the lines of my... <laughs> my stream of consciousness here but um but yes um it is i think um one thing i I do feel like we've succeeded in doing and and continual continually sort of see as our mission is to make god not distant right you know but present and um part of that is to show god in the nitty-gritty you know in the daily and uh you know uh so many of the poems i think that um we enjoy and that we select for the journal really um, spring from everyday life and everyday experience. And a lot of the poems I can real they really put you right into the moment and you can imagine yourself in it. That's a strong poem, you know, sign of a strong poem right there. You know, one thing I didn't mention yet and probably should um, just for the sake of the viewers to kind of get a sense of what else is contained in, in the pages of our issue each year. Um, we not only uh, publish poetry, but we we do see it as our mission 
um, to publish a large number of book reviews in each issue. And these are reviews, though, of small collections, small individual collections of poems. So they're not um, book reviews of academic books. So to, that's just kind of in line with your question about, you know, hovering between the academic and the other. But um, they're really, uh, I, I feel like we're sort of a venue for helping support um, poets who've come out with, so, and some of the books are, are uh, you know, they're by poets, they're very well published. And sometimes the book is their, the, the poet's first book, you know, and it's mm-hmm. wonderful for them. Um, and so we celebrate that. Um, and we certainly want uh, our readers to, you know, learn about these books. So the spirit of them is really just sort of an introduction to the book. They're not extremely critical reviews, you know, um, mm-hmm. they're really more to, um, introduce our readers to these writers and um, just help support them and make their work more, more well-known. So, um, so we publish over 20 book reviews um, in each issue, which for poetry books, that's a lot. <laughs> and it's another sort of reason for being for us because um, the other journals don't have that kind of space. So, you know, to print that many reviews just on individual collections of poetry so we so that's another service I think we provide. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, we also publish in each issue two interviews uh, mm-hmm. with poets and two what we ended up starting to call life's work essays because they're essays uh, that sort of trace um, the entire, you know, some sort of um, religious theme, I guess, um, through the entire corpus you know, of a poet that's been writing for mm. a good number of years, you know, so we call it life's work. And um, the other thing that sort of happened over the course of the now going into five years um, is it's interesting to see now um, what poets find us to be a venue for, what kinds of mm. poems. So the first um, after the first publication came out, it was very interesting because in the second year, the 2018 issue, um, it, it was sort of it, it just really sort of a joy to see that people found us to be a place they wanted to send poems of praise to other poets, you know. And so we ended up, we had so many that we created a separate little section for those in the second issue. And then also, as you can imagine, this is probably you know, what people would imagine this is that um, we became kind of a venue for elegies as well after the death mm-hmm. of poets. We received a number of, of poems that uh, started us creating an in-memoriam section in the issues too. And uh, I like to kind of make that known too, because I, um, I really see that as part of our mission. And um, we tried to start a a section on the website for, um, you know, and I've called it in memoriam and I usually I put a photo up of the person and a poem that they wrote, usually in our journal um, and a little bio, you know, but it's hard to keep up. So, you know, I, I keep a, I really wish there was an editor just for that section because I would like to really, you know, uh, you know, have that be something that grows and something that we, you know, provide. It's so important to the faith, you know, mm-hmm. um, so, um, so that's, those are some of the things that have, you know, sort of the developments over the years, yeah. I guess you would call it. Um, yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm wondering, you know, more generally, it's maybe just a question that's on the tip of my mind that I'm hoping you can help me with. Um, like, what is it about the, about, what is it about poetic language that enables a poem to do 
something that even like really quality sort of luminescent prose can't do like what is it about the po- is it the form or i mean i'm sure it's all together like the form the 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 word choice you know the spirit of the poet coming through the poem but what is it about poetic language that we are drawn toward or pierced by really right yeah why in other words why write a poem about something <laughs> we could be talking about right right you know, right, right in the poem uh and it is, I think it, it uh, I always use this phrase, the power of brevity, for one thing, you know, um, I think what we're, we're what we um, publish in the journal, I guess, is what you would call lyric poetry. So there's a lot of distinctions among different kinds of poems, lyric poems, or I think when we hear that word, we think of them as uh, being particularly um, strong in sound quality. So I mm-hmm. think it's sound sometimes that makes a poem different than the prose maybe that the luminous prose I think it's the way you phrased it you know mm-hmm. um there's uh maybe engages more of the senses because of that sound quality and it can be rhyme but it doesn't have to be rhyme it could be other um you know alliteration um other kinds of repetition you know in the poem but it somehow really engages all the senses in fact your body may respond to it right because Mm -hmm. it's like not the same thing as but similar to music right Mm are kind of you know um the way we our bodies even kind of move to the music and sometimes when you read a poem you're not as conscious of that of course as you would be with a song but it's there you know (laughs) um and so i think you know uh, poets talk about this all the time when you know they sit down they have a a, something in mind that they want to write about and they may not at first think it's going to be a poem but it kind of turns Mm. into a poem when they suddenly discover its form and you use that word and i think that's exactly it you know to it there's some it, it a writer's task is to discover the right form for the piece you know mm-hmm. so that the content and the form are wedded so yeah. um you know but i think in poetry a lot it's it's the eye and the ear are both involved you know mm-hmm. the eye and those strong images but the ear and the sound and it um it's condensed it's sort of a power to it because it's distilled you know mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever it is it's being right. conveyed so i hope that helps a little bit i don't yeah, know no, sort of all does. over the place here no that's helpful um yeah, I was thinking of two things while you were talking. Two things came to mind was yeah. um, just uh, Tolkien sitting down and writing down in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit and then finding out like what that was all about. Obviously, that's a, uh, what, a prose work, but what but, that leads into. Yeah. Right. Um, but then I was yeah. I was thinking, you know, when you were speaking, I'm thinking and you said this earlier, you used the, the word. But when you were just speaking, I was thinking that this is probably what you're talking about is the sacramentality of poetry. So I don't know if you could go further with that oh yeah um, it, all the time um i talk about this in my class too and my I teach a, a catholic writers of literature class and also a journal editing class um in conjunction with reading the work um, that's submitted for for the journal and we're constantly you know trying to get the right words for understanding um the sacramental view of art but what lies at its basis you know is just the same thing that lies at the basis of the sacraments which is that um you know god uh, comes to us through some kind of physical means so in the poem the physical are those concrete images or even the sound of the verse that i was talking about that's physical you know anything we take in through our senses you know that god works through you know um 
Um, so I'm, I'm constantly using that phrase, a poem can be an instrument of grace, you know, mm. <laughs> and I think that's what we, we hope that's our, our biggest hope for the journal is that mm. we can, we can provide, you know, a venue for, um, poems that could, could potentially, you know, be instruments of grace for our readers. In your first issue, I, I just reread it. I remember reading it a little while back and I was, I was just very struck by it. And I, I'm a person that loves St. Augustine, but I really also am moved by the poem Augustine's Lover. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and just, you know, as sort of right. a, co- a coalescing point of everything we've been talking about, but in a very striking way, this is <laughs> in a sense critical of sort of maybe a manufactured sainthood or or just maybe seeing a saint like Augustine and maybe a more, what's the word I'm looking for? Not gritty, not real, but um, a more <laughs> blinding light. I don't know of, of his life. Um, you know, the, the lover that he leaves behind uh, his, you know, his, his living wife, girl, you know, common law wife, girlfriend, people put it different ways, but why would a poem like that, you know, seem to find a, a, a proper place within a, a journal of Catholic poetry. I'm sure there's that's, lots of reasons, but. That's interesting you brought that one up because uh, I, every time earlier when you asked me to talk about how is Catholicism fertile ground and I said, oh my gosh, I've seen, you know, things I couldn't even imagine we receive, you know, after we open up our call, you know. Yeah. Um, and I left out, I think, when I was talking about that, also people's engagement with the saints you know, as being very much a, you know, fertile ground as well. Um, and I think so many times um, people love the saints because, you know, they they represent for us this idea that we can make it to heaven, right? You know, in all of our flaws, you know, um, and uh, they're because they're human, you know, the saints. And uh, so, um, but yeah, I think we, uh, that is, I think you're right. I think um, a poem like that, um, it, we welcome because it shows the struggles, you know, the, the, of the soul. And um, uh, I think that um, there's grace in that because um, the, you know, the, that keeps the faith alive. I think there's, you know, there's, we don't want all the voices in the, in the, each issue to be sort of complacent, you know, mm-hmm. we want them to challenge us and, um you know, get us to think about the difficulties, you know, that we all um, encounter. So, you know, I often talk about the journal as a kind of microcosm or cross-section of the Catholic Church itself. Um, Some of the speakers of the poems are very devout um, and show an amazing depth of understanding and uh, belief, you know. Um, Others may struggle with some tenets of the faith, but they still choose to remain within the church community out of a desire to avoid exercising a kind of private faith. Um, and still others may have broken with the church in practice, but they still see their own spiritual lives as having been formed by their Catholic upbringing, and they see their identity as still really inextricably bound to Catholicism in many ways. Um, Presence welcomes poems with speakers who possess all of these varying degrees of identification with Catholicism. Uh, Both the devotion of and the struggles of these souls keep faith alive. 
and continue the tradition of art informed by faith. Yeah, I uh, with with this with this one in particular, like, I, that struggle is clearly there, and, and it's put so well that you know even me you know lover of augustine i i see what the author is getting at and i you feel in a way um certain her interior struggle and um you know wanting to know this this unnamed woman that was so important to augustine it's interesting uh, we did a couple episodes on augustine and one of them actually focused on monica and this unnamed woman as far as how their love um was both nourishing and provocatively challenging to Augustine um, and helped him grow in the end into the, into the man uh, that he became. But um, they also highlighted his own personal foibles and weaknesses and, and little prides. Right. Yeah. It's poets are, are drawn to different figures and trying to give voice to them. And, you know, they awaken their imagination and um, uh, I think just get us to think you know, mm-hmm. in a different way about these figures. That's, that's a sign of a good poem, I think, right? It makes you think. And- yeah. So I mentioned a poem that, you know, I was, uh, you know, you know, moved by and in a way, you know, challenged by in my vision. So for you, what, what is the experience of uh, reading a moving good poem? Oh, um, yeah. That, it leaves me speechless, <laughs> just like I was then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've had that experience many times I'd say. Um, but I think, you know, it's funny for me as an editor, I always, when people ask me questions about such as that, I, I, I go back to that first, almost the first issue, you know, the journal, I have a lot of memories of the first one. I think it's that inaugural one. So powerful, I guess maybe because it's my first experience with really reading that many poems. Um, but I remember reading one poem by Marianne Corbett, um, who, uh, she's an excellent poet. Um, and has written for many years. Uh, and she submitted to the inaugural issue. Um, and uh, I remember when I read it, I was speechless. And I think um, it, it made me think about what makes a great poem. And it's uh, it's really having that feeling at the end where there's nothing else you could say um, that would help anyone understand the experience better than this poem. You know, you couldn't take one word out of that poem um, and have it be the same poem in the same experience. Um, and uh, prose would never do it justice. You could never say this poem is about this, you know, because it's so much more than that, that talking about it would be reductive, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll just, it's very short, so that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I could read this poem um, and hopefully I'll do it justice where you have that same feeling I had at the end <laughs> when I read it. Um, Unpracticed though, so hopefully I'll achieve that. But it's called Me and Wittgenstein, and it has an epigraph to it uh, so that you um, can understand sort of this um, biographical uh, detail about uh, Wittgenstein's life. But the students of Paul Wittgenstein, the, the pianist who lost his right arm in wartime, always praised his teaching of fingerings. So here's the poem. Mm-hmm. Around the shape of God, I cup my open mind with all the certainty the one-armed pianist musters to stretch a missing hand and strike a broken key. So just that, the, mm-hmm. the power of that metaphor, you know, yeah. um, 
of coming to try to understand God and know God and believe in God and the difficulty of that. Um, but yet the beauty of it is like the, a pianist, you know, uh, mm-hmm. playing the piano and, but yet a pianist with a missing hand <laughs> mm-hmm. and had the mystery, you know, of that yeah. beauty. So anyway, um, but so as you can see, my words did no justice. The poem was much more beautiful, right? No, it's, yeah, that, that is great. I'm just struck by the, the theme of presence and absence and yeah. pre- presence by way of absence. Yes, exactly. There you go. It was interesting when you you were speaking, you know, I was talking to my 10 year old the other day and he was drawing something and he's like, this is the best thing I may have ever drawn. Uh What should I I add next? And I'm like, well, Gabe, I mean, Gabriel, um, you know, something a good artist does is the good artist knows when not to add something more. It's like, you know, you got to know what is fitting and you Ooh, know, that's a very good moment. Yeah. That yeah. was a good moment. So what you were yeah. saying just made me think of that. And of course, you know, you, you calling to mind, you know, the, the Thomist sort of aesthetics or, you know, the classical aesthetics about, you know, uh, harmony and proportion and all of that seems to be fitting too. You don't want to add too much because it'll just cloud the vision. So. Right. That uh, power of brevity. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's what you said. And that, that was yeah. a great way of putting it, right? You don't want to keep going on. Just shut up. You did a good job. Yeah. So. <laughs> Right. Words can be very powerful, but they're they're also limited. Thanks to Mary Ann Miller for her time and insight into the inner workings of Presence, a journal of Catholic poetry. I enjoyed speaking with her about the journal, the craft of poetry in general, and its place within the Catholic imagination. I hope you'll go into today's show notes and hop over to the website for Presence, where you can pick up one of their back issues or subscribe to the journal so that you won't miss an installment. I've also included a link to their Instagram page so you can go give them a follow. And speaking of giving someone a follow, please do so for this podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Additionally, if you have a quick moment, please give us a top shelf rating or even more impactfully, recommend the show to a friend, neighbor, or unsuspecting stranger at the deli counter. In our next episode, I'll speak with poet Jane Greer, about her new collection of poems titled Love Like a Conflagration, which is just a phenomenal work that I can't highly recommend enough, so you want to be sure to give that one a listen. Until then, though, let's continue journeying further up and further in.